podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you decided to join us and hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning. This morning I'm going to preach on a very familiar topic. For many of you, this will be a review. For others, it'll be new. This morning I'm going to talk about baptism. And hopefully some of the things I say will be new to you and you can use it as you talk to other people and share the gospel. I want you to leave this morning not saying, now I know what Bob Hellbeck believes about baptism. I want you to leave this morning saying, now I know what the scriptures teach about baptism. We're going to begin with the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And then we're going to go to the book of Acts and look at some conversions. By the way, you have a conversion chart in your uh, bulletin, and I'd like you to get that out. So, But I'll have it up on the screen, but it's something you can look at now and when you get home. And then we're going to look at what the New Testament letters say. So we're going to move quickly today as we talk about this, but this is a very, very important topic. Uh, so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 3, where we read about the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now there are two things we want to notice about Jesus' baptism. First of all, how he was baptized. And the second thing is why he was baptized. Now the passage here says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now in order to come up out of the water, what do you have to do? You have to go down into the water. He was immersed in water. He went under the water, came up out of the water. The parallel passage in Mark puts it this way. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now notice, it doesn't say he was baptized next to the Jordan where John could reach down and get some water and pour it on his head. It doesn't say he was baptized by the bank of the Jordan where John could grab some water and sprinkle it on his head. It doesn't say he was baptized on the beach or by the water, but in the Jordan. Now, it goes on and says, just as Jesus was, notice this now, coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. John 3.23 tells us that John baptized people near Enon, at Enon near Salem because the reason there was plenty of water. Now you don't, you don't need plenty of water to sprinkle people or to pour water on people. Jesus was baptized by immersion. We know that because of the context. We also know it because of the word baptize. Our English word baptize is not a, transliter- a translation of the Greek word for baptism. It is a transliteration. In other words, they took the Greek word and they just took the Greek letters and put them into the English letters. They did not translate it for us. So the Greek word for baptism is baptizo, and they translate it into baptize. Every scholar will tell you that uh, 
the Greek word baptizo means to dip, immerse, or plunge. So if they hadn't just transliterated, every time you see the word baptism, you'd see either immerse or plunge or, or dip. So what we learn from Jesus' baptism is that baptism is immersion in water, not just sprinkling water on or pouring water on people. And of course, we learn this elsewhere in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the Ethiopian being baptized. And it says in verse 38 and 39, Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord certainly took, uh, suddenly took Philip away. Again, this passage very obviously teaches going down into the water and coming up out of the water. It teaches immersion. And by the way, uh, not only that, but in Romans chapter 6 and in Colossians chapter 2, baptism is described as a burial and a resurrection. We are buried with Christ. We are risen to a newness of life. When you bury people, you don't sprinkle dirt on them. When you bury people, you don't pour dirt on them. You bury them. So... The how of immersion is pretty obvious when we read this. Uh, that's what the scripture teaches. Some people say, well, even though it's immersion, I don't think the how of baptism is important. I think what is important is your heart. And no doubt, your heart is, is very important. But that doesn't mean the mode of baptism isn't important. Uh, God uses the word baptizo, which means dip, immerse, or plunge when talking about being baptized. He did not use, there's a Greek word for sprinkling. That's the word rantizo. He never used that word rantizo. There's a Greek word for pouring water. That's the word chio. He never used that word. It's not that sometimes he used the word baptizo, then sometimes he used the word rantizo or chio. No, that never happens. Seventy times baptism is talked about in the Bible. It is always the word baptizo. Now, not only do we know from the word, but he gives us examples of people who were baptized by going down in the water and coming up out of the water. He uses word pictures to describe to us what baptism is, a burial and a resurrection. So I ask people, what else could God do to show you, to tell you what he wants done when it comes to baptism? The scriptures clearly teach that baptism is immersion. Now, why was Jesus baptized? Did he need to be baptized? Now, the Bible tells us John was baptizing for the forgiveness of sins and uh, repentance. Did Jesus have anything for which he needed to repent? No. Did he have sins that needed to be forgiven? No. Matthew chapter 3, 15. Remember what Jesus said? He said, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. If Jesus was not baptized, he would not have done what the Father wanted him to do. So to fulfill all righteousness, he was baptized. John said, I don't want to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. John, Jesus says, no, to fulfill all righteousness, we need to do that, do this. So in the very beginning, in the first book of the New Testament, we read about Jesus being baptized. He talks to us other places about baptism. John 3, we don't have time to look at all that this morning. But you get to the end of Matthew, and he gives us the Great Commission. And he says, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These are the last words Jesus spoke to his apostles before he ascended into heaven. And that gives us an idea of how important baptism is. We are told to make this all-out effort to go to all nations and baptize people. 
Baptism is the only thing we are ever told to do in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now the parallel account to this is found in Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now this passage very clearly teaches that belief must precede baptism. And that belief and baptism precede salvation. That's what it says. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. There are those who teach that belief and salvation precede baptism. You believe and then you are saved and sometime later down the road you are baptized, preferably soon after you believe and are saved. But if that was the case, then this verse would read, whoever believes and is saved should be baptized. That's not what it says. I don't think Jesus got his words mixed up here, and I don't think he's giving us some type of word scramble game that we're supposed to move words around to make our own sentence. So if I believe and I am not baptized, am I saved? Well, not according to this verse. If I am baptized and I do not believe, am I saved? Well, not according to Jesus. That's one reason we do not practice uh, infant baptism. Belief must precede baptism. So Jesus sets an example for us here when it comes to baptism. And then he tells us to go out to all nations and preach baptism. uh, To make disciples. Now that's Jesus on baptism. Let's go now to the book of Acts. You have that conversion uh, chart in your... I'm going to put it up on the screen in a moment. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. It tells us about the beginning of church in Jerusalem and how the gospel was spread through the known world. In the book of Acts, for the very first time, we see people becoming Christians. You don't have any Christians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are all still under the old dispensation. For the very first time in the book of Acts, we have people becoming Christians. In Acts chapter 1, we read about Jesus' ascension into heaven. It's a parallel passage to what we read in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Jesus ascends into heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see for the very first time the disciples preaching the gospel message. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, there are a number of things that we need to notice here. First of all, the people believed Peter's message. It doesn't say that. That's implied. They heard, and they were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter what they needed to do. And Peter was told them they they needed to repent. They needed to change direction. And then he tells them to be baptized and they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. There's a human part when it comes to baptism and there's a divine part. The human part is when we submit to Christ and we are buried with him in baptism. The divine part is what happens when we are baptized. Our sins are forgiven. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we are added to the body of Christ. 
When we are baptized, we are cleansed of our sins. Our sins are forgiven. Peter said, repent to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there are some people who want to play word games with this passage. And if you sit down and you talk with people about this, they might say something like this. That's why I want to tell you this morning. Uh, what they say is the word for here, uh, where it says repent to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That the Greek word there for for is the Greek word ice. And ice sometimes can be translated because of. Not typically, that would be very unusual, but there are times that it could be translated because of. So what they say here is that this verse should say, repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. But I want to tell you this, that is not the normal way to translate that word. It, the normal way to translate it is the word for. And every major translation translates it for the King James, the New King James, New American Standard, the New uh, International Version, the uh, English Standard Version, all major translations translate this Greek word for, not because of. We have the exact same grammatical context in Matthew chapter 26, 28. It says this, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That's the Greek word ice there for for. Now if it meant because of, then this verse would read, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many because of the forgiveness of sins. Now that doesn't make a bit of sense, does it? Because Jesus did not die because our sins were forgiven, he died for the forgiveness of sins. Exact same grammatical context that we have in Acts 2. People just don't want it to say that baptism is part of having our sins forgiven. But the Bible very clearly says that. Plus, in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, uh, we see that Ananias tells Saul to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. You have to want it not to say what it says. And folks, please understand, it's not the water that cleanses us from our sins. Our, the water up here in the baptistry is not some type of holy water. But he does say it's, it, it's at that moment that our sins are forgiven. The water doesn't have any special power, but it's God who removes our sins. Now, when we are baptized, this passage says we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized... The Bible says we are added to the church. Verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, who added them to their number? Well, the Lord did. Uh, Acts uh, 2.47 said, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So at the very beginning of the book of Acts, we are told in no uncertain terms the importance of baptism. Now, every time we read of a conversion in the book of Acts, Every time someone is saved, we read that they are baptized. That's not the case of other things. So I'm going to put this on the screen. You have it in your, uh, your bulletin. We're not going to read these. It would, we'd be here a good portion of the morning. But you can take these home. That's why I put it in your bulletin. So you can take these home and read them yourselves. But look at this. On the day of Pentecost, that's what we just talked about. It doesn't come right out and tell us that people believed. We know they did. It's implied. They heard the word and they were cut to the hearts, but it doesn't come right out and say they believed. It does say they repented. Doesn't say anything about confession, but does say they were baptized. The next, when we see the Samaritans converted, it tells us they believed. 
doesn't say anything about repentance, doesn't say anything about confession. It does say they were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't say anything about that he believed. It is obvious. It's implied that he does, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't say anything about his repentance. If you have the King James Version or the New King James Version, it'll say he confessed. Most versions, modern versions, don't have verse 37 of chapter 8 in there because it's not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Seems to be an addition. So you'll have a footnote in your Bible that talks about that confession. But it does say he was baptized. You look at Cornelius in his household. Doesn't say anything about faith, repentance, or confession, but does say he was baptized. Then we go to Lydia. Doesn't say she believed, repented, or confessed, but does baptized. Philippian jailer, he believed, he and his family, and they were baptized. And then Saul says nothing about belief. Obviously, he did believe, but doesn't say it. Doesn't say anything about repentance or confession, but it says he was baptized. Now, why is that? Why, in every example of conversion in the book of Acts, does it tell us the people were baptized? Because it's the final step. If it tells us you were baptized, we know you believed. If it tells us you were baptized, we know you repented. If it tells us you were baptized, we know you confessed. Baptism is the final step into the kingdom of God. Now listen, we are not saved by baptism alone, but baptism is the final step that brings us into the kingdom. By the way, when you read the examples of conversion in the book of Acts, you'll never see anybody asking Jesus to come into their heart. We never see that anywhere in the Bible. When you read the book of Acts and see these conversions, you'll never see anybody praying the sinner's prayer. Do you see Franklin Graham on television on the commercials where he asked people to pray after him, repeat this prayer, and asking Jesus to come into his heart and they'll be saved? We never have anything like that in the Bible. Find anything similar to that. You'll never find it. There is no such prayer even hinted at in the Bible. Check it out. Don't just listen to me. You know, check, check it out. Well, we're running out of time, so I want to share with you a few places in the New Testament letters where, we're, where we talk about baptism. I already mentioned to you Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 2. We are told that when we are baptized into Christ, we are buried with Christ, and we're risen to walk in newness of life. At baptism, we become a new person. The old person is put to death symbolically, and a new person is raised to live faithfully in Christ, a person whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are cleansed. Galatians chapter 3 says, So in Christ Jesus, you who are all children of God through faith. We could just stop there. doesn't stop there, though. It goes on. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You see, it's when we believe and repent and confess and we're baptized into Christ that we put on Christ, that we are clothed in Christ. Makes it very clear here. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 21, a very important passage. And uh, um, we're going to, verse 21 is 1 and 20, we really want to zero on, but I want to read the context for you. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Through whom also he went and preached to the saints in prison. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water, what does it say? Symbolizes baptism that what? Now saves you also. 
Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Why, when we are baptized, do we now have a pledge of a good conscience toward God? Because our sins are removed. Our sins are forgiven. I don't have to feel guilty. At that point in time, my sins are forgiven. That's what it says. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It, what? Saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter tells us the flood waters in the days of Noah, this water that destroyed many saved eight people. And this water symbolizes baptism that what? Now saves you also. Now, I want to read some verses from other translations for you so you see this isn't just some weird translation. The English Standard Version translates it this way. Uh, Baptism which corresponds to this, that is the floodwaters of Noah's day. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. The New American Standard, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. The New King James Version, this is also an antitype, which now saves you. And the King James Version, Old English, puts it this way. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth now also save us doesn't matter what translation of the Bible you use. They all say the same thing. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. But it doesn't say baptism only. Listen, there are many things that save us. We are saved by God. We are saved by grace. We are saved by Christ. We are saved by the blood of Christ. We are saved by faith and repentance and confession of Christ and baptism. And that's not really the end of the list. It's a mistake to think that all a person has to do to be saved is believe. James tells us the demons believed and trembled. Real faith leads us to act in obedience to God. If our faith does not lead us to obey, then it's a worthless faith. James tells us faith without works is dead. James 2.24 says, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone which certainly should make you wonder about those preachers who say faith alone is all faith only. No, the Bible says you're not saved by faith alone. It's a mistake to think that a person is saved by faith only. Faith is vital, but not faith only. It is also a mistake to think that baptism is some magical, mystical event that saves us by itself. Baptism which is not preceded by faith and followed by faithfulness is worthless. Let me say that again. Baptism that is not preceded by faith and followed by faithfulness is worthless. Suppose a father is sitting on the beach and he looks out into the ocean and he sees a man drowning. And he calls his son. He says, son, go out and save that man. And the son gets in a rowboat and he rows out there. He sticks his oar out of the boat and he says to the man, grab on and I'll pull you to safety. And the man grabs on the oar and he's pulled to safety. The man is saved. Now what part of that scenario can we leave out and the man still be saved? Can we leave the father out? Can we leave he's seeing the man that needs saved? Can we leave that? No, if the father doesn't say him, the man's not going to be saved. Can we leave the father sending the son? No. Can we leave the son's willingness to go? No, if the son says, no, I'm not going, the man's not going to be saved. Can we leave the man's obedience out, the fact that he grabs the oar when he's told? No, if he says, no, I don't want to do it, I'm just going to do this on my own, he's going to be lost. 
What part of that scenario can we leave out and that man be saved? Well, none. Now, we, we can say the man was saved by the father's mercy. Father just could have looked at it, walked back in the house. Uh, but he was, wasn't saved by the father's mercy alone. We can say he was saved by the son, but he wasn't saved by the son alone. We can say he was saved by his obedience, by grabbing the oar, but he wasn't saved by obedience alone. It all goes together. And the same thing is true about salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But Luke 13.3 says, Repent or perish. Well, what if you have faith? Well, you can have faith, but you need to repent or you're going to perish. Romans 10 says, it is With our mouth we confess, and that's confessing Jesus, it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. And Mark 16, 16, he that believes and will be baptized will be saved. 1 Peter 3, 31, baptism now saves you. Which part can you leave out and be saved? Can you leave out God's grace? No. Can you leave out God or can you leave out Christ or can you leave out uh, his sacrifice or can you leave out belief or repentance or confession or baptism? No. You cannot be saved by any one of those things alone. They are all part of God's plan of salvation. Now, I think there are some people that hesitate to be baptized because of family members who have died and are not baptized, were not baptized. And they feel if they're baptized that somehow that means that their family members are lost because they weren't baptized. If you have a family member who is gone, who has passed, what you do now does not affect where they are. But let me give you an illustration. I've used this before, and I, and I hope this will help you. Uh, you and your grandfather and father own a, a deli. Or you and your grandmother and mother own a deli. And your, your grandfather goes in the deli at 9 o'clock in the morning. He works from 9 to, two, uh, uh, nine to noon. And he charges $3 for a pound of hamburger. And then your father goes in and he works from noon to three and he charges $3 a pound for hamburger. And then you go into work from three to six and you charge $3 a pound for hamburger. But at four o'clock, this guy comes in who is going to check out the scale and he discovers the scale was wrong, that you've been selling a pound of hamburger, but it's not a pound, it's only 13 ounces. So granddad and your father have been selling this pound and it's not a pound, it's 13 ounces. The guy says, I don't have time to fix the scale today. I'll come back and fix it tomorrow. So here's the thing. Was the father doing anything wrong with the information he had? No. He thought he was selling a pound. Did the grandfather do anything wrong with the information he had? No, he thought he was selling a, a pound. But now that you know that it's 13 ounces and not a pound, what if you continue to sell it at that price? Then you're going to be held accountable. Now, if you have loved ones who have gone on before you and they were believers but they weren't baptized, let's leave that in the hand of God. But if you've never made that decision to be baptized and you know it's something you have to do, you're going to be held accountable. So I hope if that's a decision that you have to make, uh, that you will make that decision. 
We're going to sing an invitation hymn in just a moment. And as we sing that, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ and been baptized, we have our baptistry ready. If you come forward, we can take your confession and baptize you today. Maybe you're not quite ready to do that, but you think it's something you ought to do. I hope you'll talk to me and we can set up even a private time to do that. But go home today and say to yourself, is this Bob Hellback who's teaching baptism or is it the scriptures? And if you can find somewhere in the scriptures that what I said this morning wasn't right, please come back and tell me. I want to know. But if the scriptures tell you you need to do this, then it's something you ought to do. So let's stand together and sing our invitation hymn. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we have a traditional service at 845 and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Check our Facebook page for evening adult and youth service times throughout the week.